Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. We're your co-hosts. Um, thanks so much for tuning in. Today, we are so excited to welcome Carol McConkie to the podcast. Carol, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Carol McConkie and her husband, Oscar, are currently serving as government relations missionaries assigned to the United Nations in Geneva, Switzerland, where they represent Latter-day Saint Charities, which is the humanitarian arm of the church. In that assignment, Carol serves on several committees, including the non-governmental organization, the Committee on the Status of Women, which promotes and empowers women around the world. And you may recognize Carol or her voice because before her missionary service, Carol served as a counselor in the Young Women's General Presidency from 2013 to 2018. And before that, served on the Young Women General Board. So we're excited to see you again and to hear more about your very unique mission experiences. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. Your missionary assignment is fascinating to me. And the title sounds a little intimidating. And I just wonder, how did you feel when you were asked to accept this call? And just so we have a better understanding, what is your role as a government relations missionary representing Latter-day Saint Charities? Stunned is the word that I would use to describe my reaction when my husband came home and informed me that they had asked him if we would be willing to take this assignment. And it was way off my radar. We had talked about serving a mission together, but not at that time, right? At that time, I was looking for just a little more self-determined flexibility in my life and a lot of grandparenting. And on top of it all, I knew almost nothing about the United Nations, certainly nothing about the way it functions, and nothing about the United Nations in Geneva, which is actually different than the United Nations in New York. In Geneva, the United Nations houses the Human Rights Council, whereas in New York is where the Security Council meets. So once I got over that idea, the notion of living in Geneva, Switzerland, was quite appealing. So that sounded like a lot of fun in many respects. As far as our role goes, as was stated, Latter-day Saint Charities is a non-governmental organization. It's also an ECOSOC accredited non-governmental organization, which is the highest status that a non-governmental organization can have at the United Nations. That status allows us the ability to participate in the work of the United Nations. Oh, wow. The committees that you mentioned that I'm serving on included the Freedom of Religion and Belief Committee, the Committee on the Status of Women. Also, we focused on issues surrounding the family. We attended a committee on the family in Vienna. One of the most important aspects of our role at the United Nations was diplomatic outreach. And that was really reaching out and connecting with the ambassadors or representatives of the permanent missions which participate at the United Nations. I just had no idea that there were so many committees and so many specific committees. And so it's amazing that you have that bandwidth to be able to do that. It's incredible. The work at the United Nations is extensive and includes everything from world trade and health and technology and disarmament and on and on, all kinds of of discrimination and so forth. And so we tried to narrow our focus so that we were able to 
be a little more effective in our work and not work 24-7. That sounds like quite a steep learning curve, right? Hearing all of that, there's like a language, there's, there's a process that goes along with all of that. And you said going from feeling stunned and not even really knowing what went on there to then diving into these committees. I think that says something about your capabilities, but also I think maybe a testament that this is important in the Lord's work and he's arming you with the right tools and information to be effective. And Carol, you were serving in Geneva and now you're back in Utah serving remotely in these various capacities. And so we'd love to know how have you continued to meet that purpose and make sure that you're adding value in all of these different ways, being in such a different location? Oh, it was such a shock to us to have planned on a 23-month mission and then after 11, 11 and a half months, get that phone call to go home because of the pandemic. And so we packed our things and we're gone literally almost 24 hours later. It's like every other senior couple, I think, or most other senior couples in the world. It's been quite an adjustment. Coming home for the first six weeks, we're kind of on a holding pattern trying to determine our next steps and figure out what we were supposed to do. How do we carry on with this mission? But when the realization began to hit that we would not be returning, we had to really dig in and figure out how to work remotely, how to connect with the contacts that we had made while we were in Geneva by email invite them to participate in meetings that we were going to try and continue to organize with Zoom meetings. One of the ways we really tried to connect was to help the ambassadors understand that what Latter-day Saint Charities was doing in their country to assist with the COVID-19 issues, supplying medical supplies, masks, PPE, all of those things. And the number of projects are expansive, more than anyone in the church, I think, would believe, more than I could believe. Every week, we'd get a report saying that Latter-day Saint Charities was doing 30 or more new projects that week. So as these projects began to expand, we could send an email to someone from each of those permanent missions and say, look, this is how we're trying to help. Carry on. We're cheering for you. And we love your people, and we we pray for your well-being in your country. And So your work has only become maybe more relevant in some ways for you to be, like you said, communicating about what the church's humanitarian arm is doing. Well, and at the same time, we're tra- adapting here in the U.S. They're adapting there at the United Nations, and they're trying to determine how their meetings can be conducted virtually. And, of course, with an eight-hour time zone difference, a one o'clock in the afternoon uh, (laughs) in Geneva (laughs) Geneva. is five o'clock in the morning in Salt Lake. And so to look presentable at five o'clock was a little bit of a trick, but you adjust. And and so, (laughs) but it's been been fun to maintain those contacts and those friendships. So, Carol, we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but your mission is quite different from other proselyting missions. But you've shared with us that the spirit is still very present as you meet with these ambassadors and diplomats to share about the work of Latter-day Saint Charities. And we'd love to have any have you share any particular stories or experiences where you felt the spirit as you share that love that God has for children around the world and this humanitarian work of the church. 
For me, it was interesting to feel also intimidated by the fact that prior to this assignment, all of my work, my audience has been members of the church. And now all of a sudden, my audience are people who either have no awareness of the church whatsoever or might have a negative view of the church or of all faith-based organizations, you know, because they're suspect. They might be trying to proselyte or something like that. And so we had to learn how to exercise great care. And one of the things that I really tried to keep in mind is that every single man, woman, and young person that I met was a son and daughter of God and that he loves them and cares very deeply about their eternal well-being. And with that thought ever-present, it influenced the way we tried to interact, praying for charity and for understanding and for an appreciation of these people. And I might also add there is a spirit at the UN, once you get past a little bit of the politicization of some of the policies and so forth, especially among non-governmental organizations, where all of these men and women, so many of whom are volunteers, not all of them are professionals, who gather together truly with the intent to do good and to bring a better life to people who are vulnerable and who are persecuted and who are discriminated against or who are suffering with extreme poverty, lack of clean water, all of the things that we take for granted And so you're surrounded by really good people who have good desires. And I started to feel this is a privilege to get to know these people and appreciate their backgrounds, where they come from, and their desire is to serve and to make the world a better place, just like the rest of us. That really is beautiful because I'm thinking on a gospel level, it's been so neat in my life to be part of an organization that is worldwide and strives for unity around the world. And so it's probably neat for you to be in yet another position where you're meeting so many people who are striving to do good around the world. It it was a beautiful thing, and it was really nice to recognize commonalities yeah, the common ground that we're all hoping and praying for. Some of the women especially that I had the privilege to work with, to talk with, and get acquainted with are phenomenal women. Yeah, Just so brilliant and willing to serve and willing to speak up and to share their voice and to try and give something of value, to give back to those who are in need and to relieve suffering. It's the same purpose as what we have in Mm Latter-day Saint Charities. And it's a unifying work. It really is. It's magnificent. That's so inspiring. It was very important for us to go and meet an ambassador and to introduce to them the work of Latter-day Saint Charities and to give them an idea of the contribution that we were trying to make. We just wanted them to know who we are and what we do. And that is an amazing experience because one thing we felt is they're not that interested in us. (laughs) They don't think they are until actually we have a chance to sit down and explain to them the work that we do. And so to get an appointment in the first place is a little bit challenging. But once we get in and we're sitting in the room with them, it becomes an opportunity to first of all say, we represent Latter-day Saint Charities, the humanitarian organization of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 
And every time we would say the name of the church, the Spirit of the Lord just filled my heart. And oftentimes, if the ambassador was sensitive to it, they felt something. And maybe they didn't even manifest that they felt something. But you could feel it. It was palatable. The Spirit was there. And I just had this sense, you know, in some ways, maybe just by virtue of making that connection, we're doing a small part of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ out of obscurity and spreading it a little further in the world. And so often, some of the best, most kind and gracious meetings that we had were with the ambassadors from Muslim countries. And they loved talking to us not only about the humanitarian work, but about the notion of human dignity, freedom of religion and belief, and also family. They very strongly sustain and support families. Whoever we talked to, we found common ground. And your husband has a background in immigration and family law, and you've described him as a premier diplomat. (laughs) But we can't discount your influence and ability as well. In talking with some church employees who have worked with you and who work with you, they said that you and your husband are just such a team and are both really well-suited for diplomacy. And really a testament to this is that in the 11 months that you were in Geneva, you and your husband arranged meetings with 100 international representatives, mostly ambassadors. And that's just simply remarkable. It's a remarkable amount of outreach and Not simple or easy. (laughs) It sounds like it has a lot that goes into that process. And so this accomplishment just really speaks to your tenacity, your persistence, and ability to make these connections and then forge these lasting or very strong relationships. So although you may be modest in your own efforts, what would you say to encourage other women who may be quick to just discount their experience or abilities about their power to make a difference in their own sphere of influence. How can women recognize their value and unique contributions and characteristics? I would say, first of all, that I don't think any of us realize the extent of the influence that we have, whatever role we're in or whatever way we feel a responsibility, whether it's at home or whether it's at work or whether it's in a school classroom or wherever we are, even if it's just in the grocery store. I would say to these women, know that your desire to live as Christ lives and to be as he would be, to act as he would act with kindness, with patience, with gentility, makes a difference. And it makes a profound difference in people's lives. But you may never know the extent of that influence because people don't usually come running back to you and say, oh, you made such a wonderful difference Mm -hmm. in my life. Sometimes that does happen, and that's a nice thing. But I think the confirmation of our abilities, our capabilities, really comes through the Spirit of the Lord. And just a sense that you did something and that felt good. Again, like I say, we would go in to have a meeting with an ambassador. And there were times when we really felt love toward the person we were visiting with a desire to help. Most of the times we felt that. And when there was a connection, it was really sweet. The Spirit was there, and we always walked out and said, wasn't that an amazing meeting? We made friends with the ambassador of Iran, and sure enough, when we held a reception, he came. When we held a meeting, he came. 
And so you start to make some connections in ways that you never thought possible just by striving to have the Spirit of the Lord and treating people the way the Savior would. Those principles apply no matter who we're visiting with or who we're talking to. You think of the the huge differences between political and, and all of the other ways that we are so separate and so different religiously and politically from the ambassador of Iran, and yet he became a friend. And that happened over and over and over again. I think that's what the Lord expects of us, whether we're dealing with neighbors that we think are different or whether we're just associating with other people at work who are different, have different beliefs, different backgrounds. We need to realize that there's more that unifies us than that separates us. We have more in common, and the Spirit of the Lord will teach us that and recognize that each of us, wherever we are, have the capacity to bridge those gaps and build relationships that are positive and uplifting for ourselves and for whoever it is we have the opportunity to be surrounded by. And I think that translates to our relationships and our own families, too. These examples that we're using are political and religious difference and people living in completely different countries. And then we're looking around at our communities, too. And we have different beliefs than, you know, even people that maybe in our same religion and same organizations. And so it's just such a principle that we can apply in anything that we need to treat others how Jesus Christ would treat them, um, regardless of differences. And so I love those examples that you're sharing that are very applicable in any relationship that we have. Exactly. And I think it's important that when we have relationships with people we know have different ideologies or different beliefs— and, and I come from a convert family, so I have many in my family who are of different faiths, different beliefs, different behaviors. And I can't think of people who are more dear to me than these people. Yeah. We don't have to think the same to love people. We just have to love people. That's what the Savior asks us to do, to love our neighbor as ourself. It's the second great commandment. And if we truly love God, we will love his children. And try not to judge. The minute you bring a judgment into a relationship, you really end the relationship. You have to come with a spirit of impartiality, really, I guess. Or and just a, have an open heart. An open heart and make your heart neutral ground mm-hmm. where love can flourish. So you've talked about, again, your mission is very unique. You've said that you don't even wear a name tag you're not viewed, again, as, as proselyting missionaries. But you did share that you and your husband had a very unique opportunity to share the gospel, which was one that you didn't seek out. Like we've said, that's that wouldn't be appropriate for you to do. But this opportunity just sort of fell into your lap. And you and your husband had an opportunity to share the gospel and to teach more about the principles of the gospel just right before you were sent back to Utah. So we'd love to hear you share that experience. So this experience was exceptional, and it was an example of how the Lord puts people in our path, and there's no coincidence. It is by divine design. There's no other explanation for it. We went to visit the ambassador of Lesotho. In English, we say Lesotho, but it's Lesotho. It's a little country. It's a kingdom, actually, in the middle of South Africa. And actually, it's in the Durban Temple District, 
And it so happened on the day that we visited with the ambassador of Lesotho was the same day. We didn't know it at the time, but it was the same day that Elder Rasband was in South Africa visiting with the king of Lesotho and presented a Book of Mormon to him. Oh, wow. But we were sitting in the office and visiting with the ambassador, and we start to give our spiel about Latter-day Saint charities. And he looks at us and said, we'll get to that. Thank you for all you do as Latter-day Saint charities. But I have to ask you a question. What's the name of your church? And we told him, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he says, I want to know what you think about baptism. Now that we never had had that question before. So, <laughs> so my beautiful companion, who is just always so filled with the Spirit, just gave a beautiful, brief, and concise telling of the baptism of Jesus Christ in the River Jordan, baptized by immersion, and how the Spirit of the Lord descended upon him. And it was just powerful and sweet. And as the ambassador was listening, you could see in the light in his eyes. He was taken by this, and it meant something to him personally. And so then he said, now I have a daughter, and she's never been baptized, and we feel like she needs to be baptized. And I feel like that's the way it needs to be done, mm -hmm. because my wife and I, when we were baptized, we were just, they put a little water on her forehead, and I don't think that's sufficient. I think you have <laughs> to have more than that. And so Oscar, again, being the great missionary that he is, he said, now we can help you. He, oh, and then the ambassador says, can you baptize us? <laughs> and, and then Oscar, being a missionary of high integrity, says, well, now we have to have you come to church and learn a little bit about what we believe, and then we can baptize you. And he said, okay, tell me when your church is. So we told him, he said, I will be there on Sunday. And I was really nervous and that he wouldn't show up. And I just said, well, we'll have you to dinner afterward, you and your family. And so that was the end of it. And we left and wondered and prayed and hoped and prayed that they would actually come to church on Sunday. And sure enough, they got to church early. They were all seated on the bench. Every week for four weeks, they came. And not only did they come to church to the meeting, that every Sunday night they came to a, a convert baptism so that they could see how a baptism was performed. So it was on March 8th. They were scheduled for their baptisms, and Oscar baptized them. And they were going to be confirmed the following Sunday, but we got a call on March 12th to go home. So on March 13th, we had them come to the mission home under the direction of the mission president. We had them come to our home, and Oscar and a member of the bishopric in the Geneva English-speaking ward confirmed them members of the church. And one of the most sacred, just brilliant and most precious gifts we got was the Zoom meeting where the ambassador told us, how important Joseph Smith was to him and how much he loved Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon and what Joseph Smith had done. Such a sweet experience. I just think that of those experiences that built on each other and that you were both kind of in this position to share what you shared and also be open to his questions and his background. By divine design, I, there's no other explanation for it. So, Carol, one of your major assignments is to serve on the non-governmental organization, the Committee on the Status of Women. And, of course, we're especially interested in that <laughs> as a podcast that speaks to women and addresses issues of interest to women. And 
We would love to hear more about what you learned from that experience, both about the status of women worldwide and mm. the importance of protecting and empowering women globally. When we talked, it just seemed like there's just so much that we maybe don't think about or that we take for granted. So we'd love to hear about that. And then we'd also love to hear more. And we've talked a little bit about this, but you obviously interacted with people in that capacity who had differing beliefs or um, had differing backgrounds or thought differently about different issues and what you learned about this civil and respectful dialogue in that group. Yes, I really enjoyed this committee on the status of women. The women on this committee, many of them representing other different non-governmental organizations like Graduate Women International or Make Mothers Matter or the Women's Federation for World Peace. There were so many are sitting around the table representing mm -hmm. these other non-governmental organizations. And so what we had on this committee were women coming together representing different areas and concerns for women around the world and pooling our resources to build this unifying committee and then support one another in our efforts. And so it was very gratifying to build the relationships with these other women, many of whom became very dear friends. So when we talk about human rights and we talk about the right to education and the right to be free from harm or to have a family or to raise children, to have clean water, have access to health care, all of these things. I learned so much about the numbers of women who struggle with these things, the abuses and the discriminations and the challenges. They were beyond belief. I knew that there were 70 million migrants in the world. I knew that because I had learned that serving in the Young Women Presidency, but all of these other things really were new and quite shocking to me. Mm -hmm. And so I was grateful to learn of these things. So we were unified on behalf of women, but we did have obviously differences of opinion on certain things, and we learned the importance of being able to talk about these things respectfully with a sense of dignity for the well-being of other people, to try and understand circumstances that we just don't understand because we're so blessed or have other opportunities. So it was important to make friends and to have conversation. It's the conversation that matters and really helping people understand not only where we're coming from, but where, where they're coming from. And I stood in awe of the work that these women are doing helping their people in their country or people that fit a certain profile. Again, I think it, it behooves us when we have these kinds of opportunities to just judge not, <laughs> as the Savior said, to be without judgment and to, to really learn and listen and love. Carol, can you share what Latter-day Saint Charities is doing around the world related to these issues that women are encountering you know, even specifically like maternal care, newborn care, things like that. Why is this so needed? Fabulous. Yes. So the maternal and newborn care program that Latter-day Saint Charities has is phenomenal. We had the opportunity to visit with the ambassador of Tajikistan. And that is a place where they have recently had, what they do is they bring professionals in maternal and newborn care from the United States or other places who are doctors, nurses, 
and they come and they train the nurses and the doctors there in that country. So in Tajikistan, they gathered around. We had pictures in a beautiful room in a hotel, I believe it was, and they did some training to teach them how to train other people to be able to do the same thing and to be able to extend their ability to provide the resources, the capacity to care for a newborn, to be able to preserve life in these places where the mortality rate is quite high, and it doesn't need to be. These are just simple things, again, that we take for granted in the United States. And in some of these countries, they just don't have either the knowledge or the equipment to be able to do mm-hmm. it. And so with the professionals and a willingness to be trained, Latter-day Saint Charities provides the equipment. With that equipment, they are able to train more of the local nurses and doctors. They see immediately positive outcomes. And when the ambassadors see the pictures of what Latter-day Saint Charities, it just thrills them to think that this is happening in their country and what a blessing it is for their people. And it just provides so much hope, so much safety, and it really sets people up for more success. Absolutely. And there's maternal and newborn care. There's wheelchairs and things for other disabled. There are food projects so that they can go in and help women who may be single mothers be able to make a plot of ground, be more productive so that they can raise food for their family and then have enough that they can go and sell and make a little bit of a living. There's so many other projects that Latter-day Saint Charities does that allows people to learn how to become self-reliant, to be able to take care of their own needs, and then to be able to serve others. These projects also allow others who are in a better situation to serve those who are in need. And so Mm -hmm. by providing essential supplies, it makes all the difference. Sometimes it's a very simple thing. I will say, though, that in some of these countries where they do these things, a key to their success is an ability to partnership with other organizations so they expand their effectiveness and their outreach. And it creates, again, unity with other faith-based organizations. And so you have organizations like Muslim Aid or Catholic Relief Services. There's hundreds of them that Latter-day Saint Charities partners with, other faith-based organizations of other faiths, and they work together in the same way that we're talking about here. I think as a member of the church, I'm so proud to know that my church is doing these things that are really important to me personally, or that I care a lot about, or that are an extension of my beliefs and my faith. And I think sometimes Latter-day Saint charities can feel a little bit distant to individual members. I'm wondering if you have any suggestions of how we can feel like more that this is our work too. So opportunities come up, but immediately making a donation is important. And and you have on the tithing slip, you can fill in your tithing and your fast offerings, which we do. But then you look down and there's humanitarian. So you can Mm -hmm. designate funds specifically to the humanitarian work. And that will go to these projects that we're talking about. Other things that we can get involved in locally might come up in connection with events that are happening in the world. We see it with natural disasters and Mm -hmm. where members of the church are able to get involved and go assist in the cleanup after a natural disaster or just 
within the last, I don't know, year or year and a half, all of the refugees that were coming across our southern border and those saints gathered down there to take care of the needs of these people who literally were just dropped off in the park in the middle of the night without anything other than the clothes that were on their backs and then providing food and water and in some instances a place to stay or just basic needs. You think of new immigrants that have come to the country and the Relief Society is very concerned about reaching out and helping people find resources and get to language training or to other resources that they might need mm-hmm. to help get established. And so mm-hmm. that happens locally in local units around the church all across the country. And a lot of times it just is a matter of talking to the local leadership to find out what projects are going on locally that you can get involved in. Mm-hmm. That's all part of the work of Latter-day Saint Charities. The biggest one that we've had most recently was the making. I'm sh- the story's been in Mormon newsroom and even in public news outlets about mm-hmm. the making of the masks. And there were a lot of women in the church, all across the church, who were willing to make these masks. Mm-hmm. And so with the material that was provided Millions of much-needed masks went out to hospitals and to healthcare providers who literally were down to their last few masks to help them be able to fulfill their assignments to take care of the mm-hmm. sick and those who were struggling. So, again, I think it's an awareness of what's going on mm-hmm. in our Keeping local communities mm-hmm. well, communities and finding from local leaders, both church leaders and civic leaders, what projects we can participate in. And really, anything we do to help relieve suffering anywhere, whether it's our neighbor down the street or whether it's a bigger national or global issue, it all is part of the same work. Mm -hmm. And so I think lift where you stand. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Sharon Eubank, who's the director of Mm -hmm. Latter-day Saint Charities, has said that ministering is one of the best ways that you can be involved in humanitarian work. Absolutely. That doesn't take you too far from home. Well, and as members of the church, if we study the Book of Mormon, how many times does it tell us to take care of the poor and needy? It is essential to being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is what we do. This is who we are. And we take care of the poor and needy, and temporally and spiritually we minister to their needs— And the blessing is that the Lord will forgive us of our sins. When we understand this doctrine, how important it is to him that literally we can remain free of guilt because we've had the charity to go and do and be what the Lord would have us do to those who are in need. It's beautiful. Carol, you've described your mission, your very unique mission, (laughs) as a growing, stretching, and sanctifying experience and a divine gift that you could not be more grateful for. And we would just love for you to share with us, why would you encourage women to take advantage of opportunities that may take them out of their comfort zone, especially when they feel guided or prompted by the Spirit to do so? Well, okay, I must be very candid here, because first of all, when I say it's a growing and stretching experience, what I'm saying is there were times when it was very hard and (laughs) (laughs) to the point where if someone had given me a ticket to go home that day, I would have gone. Mm -hmm. I mean, not really, but that's how I felt because there were some things that were really difficult. 
And one of the things that was really difficult was, much to my surprise, after serving as a mission presence wife and traveling the world, I got homesick. That mm-hmm. took me by surprise. Not only that, but I found I was dealing with some anxiety that I hadn't really felt before. So as these things happen, we have to find the strength to carry on. And I have an absolute testimony, a witness, that when we are being stretched and pulled in these really challenging and difficult ways, that the Savior is our strength. He is the one who, as we turn to Him and fall on our knees and pray to Heavenly Father for the blessings of that atoning sacrifice that our Savior did for us to fill our lives, those blessings come and we feel enabled. There were times when I would think, okay, I've got to write this letter. I don't even begin to know how to express myself or how to say this. And yet, as I was willing to sit at the computer and begin to type, the Spirit came and I was enabled. And that's not me. I don't personally have that skill. I would never choose to do it. I don't even like writing. And yet, I, and, <laughs> and yet I've been so blessed, and I have felt that it has truly been a gift from God. And so I would say when the opportunities come to do hard things, it's not necessarily that we would seek after doing hard things, but when the opportunities do come, to recognize that as we turn to the source of our strength, that we will feel His enabling power. And when we feel His enabling power, we feel His love. And there's nothing more sweet or more meaningful than to feel the love of the Savior and to know by the Spirit that He approves of what you're doing. And sometimes it takes being willing to do that hard thing. And whether it's serving in a calling, maybe you've got a handful of primary children who are really challenging, or maybe you're ministering to a family that has needs larger than you have the capacity to fulfill. My witness is that the Lord will guide us. He will help us. When we're on the Lord's errand, He is there and walks with us. And I have felt that, and I know that's true. And when we are willing to do it, we can feel His love. There's a couple of scriptures. When things get really challenging, I think of that first verse in section 100 of the Doctrine and Covenants where the Lord says to Joseph and Hiram, Your families are well. They are in my hands. I have all power, and I will do with them as seemeth me good. And I say that about my family, and I say that about myself. I say, Heavenly Father, You have all power. I am in your hands, and you will do with me what you know I need. And just letting go and allowing him to do with us what he needs from us is a blessing, and it ultimately brings great joy and satisfaction. Walking through isn't necessarily joyful or satisfying, but even in the moment, the empowerment and the love comes. So... I would say to the sisters, when you're in that moment where you feel like you've got a task before you that is infinitely more than you can carry or handle, go to the source and find that power, and it is there. I really appreciate you bringing it back to turning, like you said. It's like a very visual idea to turn towards the Savior in those times and to know that there is strength available, especially when 
we're doing things that he's asked us to do or that we've been promised will be blessed if we do. And I like that you have a few scriptures that you can kind of turn your mind to, to remind yourself that, you know, it's going to be okay. There's someone who knows more than me, who has more power than me that has not forgotten me. I think that can be really powerful. Yeah. When we had been out in the on our mission in Geneva, which is beautiful, and the mountains and the lake, and, and you can't ask for a more beautiful spot and all of the advantages. Oh, and not only that, get this, we were living in the mission home. We were not in a senior couple missionary apartment. We were living <laughs> in the mission home. I mean, we had every advantage. We had a pass for all the public transportation. We had a car. We were spoiled, and not to mention Swiss cheese and chocolate. <laughs> so yeah. all of the things, all the things that you need, right? So, Thrive, yeah. yeah. And when that homesickness hit, it just took me by surprise. And it's a real thing. And I respect those that get homesick because it's very challenging to keep going when you feel this disconnect from everything that's near and dear to your heart. And you want to be reconnected. I remember standing in the kitchen looking at Oscar and saying, Oscar, I'm homesick. I just feel like I need to go home. And I said, of course I won't. I, I, I won't. I won't. Don't worry. I'll always be your companion. I'm not going home, but this is how I'm feeling. And I remember him saying at that time, he, said, he just said, I can tell you're struggling. Anyway, so, you know, a lot of prayers and keep going and all of that. But then we got to go home out of nowhere. And it was interesting because I immediately started packing, and he sat in chair and said, I'm not leaving. And I said, well, we've got to get together in this on a companionship, you know. We, we. <laughs> <laughs> so we got home, and we had been home for a few weeks, and it was sweet to be home. And, I mean, I missed some things, but it was sweet to be home. And I was out working in my garden one day, pulling weeds out of the garden. I was kneeling there, pulling weeds out of the garden, kind of thinking, oh, this should be kind of a parable here, pulling weeds out and, you know, <laughs> getting rid of the weeds sort of stuff. But then I started to think of the Savior, and I started to think about being home and praying that I would not have to go back. And I found myself saying, Heavenly Father, please remove this from me. And immediately I thought of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I felt in that moment, as I said, please remove this from me, but I'll do whatever you want me to do. I felt such love and such peace. And I felt for just a moment that the Savior understood completely what I was going through because he has felt that exactly. And he knows what it feels like to want to have something removed from him and yet being willing to go forward and do whatever the Lord has asked him to do. And I think that for me, it was just a really sweet, revelatory insight into the love our Savior had for us and his willingness to do the infinitely most difficult thing that anyone could do. That sacrifice was infinitely more difficult than we can comprehend. 
But when we have those difficult moments and we plead to be relieved and yet willing to go forward and follow the Lord's will, He understands so completely and really is with us. That isn't just because the Lord gave me a little insight. That is for every single one of us because He knows us and He loves us and He did all that He needed to do to lift us and to redeem us and to help us. As you were sharing your story about having this homesickness that you didn't understand until it actually hit you (laughs) and then praying to have that feeling of not wanting to go back, just asking for it to be taken away, that happened to me with anxiety. That's something that you don't know how it feels until you have it. And I remember that experience teaching me so much about the atonement. Yeah. that, you know, so many people struggling (laughs) with mental health challenges or these other issues that they just want to be taken away. I think that part that we need is to be willing to continue to move forward. And sometimes things are taken away or sometimes they are just eased or we're able to find resources to help manage it. But I think that's such a beautiful concept to really turn to the Lord and, and ask to be able to move forward, whatever that looks like in the challenge that you're experiencing. Yeah. Well, and you do. You carry on, and you just do it. And there were plenty of times sitting at that computer when trying to take the next step, make the next plan, plan the next day, you know, and you just go forward. And there are plenty of sweet little gifts along the way. It's not just one big moment of relief, but there's these plenty of these sweet little moments that just kind of keep you going. Carol, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today and for sharing these unique experiences. And I just think there are a million little nuggets and little (laughs) takeaways that people can have from this conversation. And we just really appreciate you. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning into this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. If you're enjoying hearing the stories and experiences of women on this show, we would love to hear from you. You can email Carly and me at podcasts at churchofjesuschrist.org with any feedback or ideas that you have for future episodes. And please take a moment to leave a rating or review on whatever platform you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Shaylin Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.